Hear now these words from John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that you will reveal yourself in these words to us this morning. God, we pray that you will speak to our hearts and draw us closer to you. Help us to know you as the Lamb of God and what this means for our lives. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. The painted turtle is an amazing animal. Hear me out. There are turtles all across America that sunbathe during the warm months. They sit out on logs and on stones by ponds and just sit there and soak in the sun. But when it starts to get cold, eventually, one by one, they all jump in ponds. So ponds across our nation are filled with these turtles when it gets cold. And they dive down, and they dive down deeper and deeper until they get to the muddy bottom of these ponds. And then they go deeper still. And they dig and they burrow into the mud. And they wait. And it's cold, and it's dark, and it's quiet. And still they wait. They begin to slow their breathing, which is good because eventually the pond will freeze over and there will be no oxygen left. Their heart rate slows to where it's just barely beating. It almost is not even alive, but it just barely is. And still, These turtles just wait and stay still and quiet. Because, you see, instinctively they know that if they begin to move, it will use energy their body does not have. Their very attempt to save their life by escaping will end their life. And so they wait. In fact, They wait so long that the nutrients they need to survive, they begin to draw out of their shell and out of their bones the calcium that they need to the point that they begin to lose their shape. They start to like disintegrate almost. And still they wait and they're quiet in the darkness. You see, these turtles know 
Not with head knowledge or reason. They just instinctively know that it won't always be dark. They know that eventually the pond will get warmer, the light will come and thaw it out, and then they can go back out and soak in the light. But for months, they sit in the mud in the bottom of a frozen pond and just wait for the light. This is a picture of Advent. Advent is meant to be a time when the church acknowledges the darkness that exists in the world. A time of waiting on the light. A time to be still. Now when we talk about acknowledging the darkness, it's, it's more than just a time of like depression. We've, we've talked about how in the winter the, the days are darker and oftentimes we struggle more and more with just an overall sadness because of the lack of light. But the, the church season of Advent goes, goes beyond that. It's a time of acknowledging a spiritual darkness. It's a time of acknowledging that there is brokenness in our world, in our land. It's a time of acknowledging that I have participated in that work of darkness. It's a time of acknowledging that my own sin is a part of a collective sinfulness of this world that permeates creation. But we do that knowing that it won't always be dark. We do that because we have hope that there is light to come. The main character of Advent is not cute little baby Jesus. The main character of Advent is not sweet, young, pure Mary, or Joseph, or the donkey they rode on, or the star, or any furry sheeps that are around the manger. The main character of Advent is John the Baptist. Because he came into a time when there was darkness, and he pointed people towards the light. See, when John came on the scene and started baptizing people, uh, the, the priests and the Levites came to him, and they said, they had one question for him. They said, who are you? Who are you? And John immediately answered, I am not the Messiah. Because he knew what their question was getting at. What they were really asking is, are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the promised Messiah? And John says, no, that's not me. I am not the light. This is a verse in, in the prophet of Isaiah that we oftentimes read at Advent. Uh, and it's, it's going to be on the screen here. It's just one part of the verse. Uh, the prophet Isaiah is it's in the, the context of a longer kind of lament. And then he says this, Behold! Which is a big word, right? We don't say it very often, but it carries a lot of weight. We'll talk about it again in a minute. 
Isaiah says, Behold, speaking to God, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? This is the Advent question. In our sins we have been a long time. We have a need to be saved. Advent reminds us not only that there is darkness, but that we have a need of salvation. And you may think that, well, yeah, that's obvious. We come to church, we know that there's a need for salvation, but we need this reminder because we live in a culture that says, all you need is you. We live in a culture that says, read another self-help book and make yourself better. That says, live your best life, be the best you can be. But the gospel says that's not enough. The gospel says that you and I need help from a different realm. You and I need help from somewhere else. Like John the Baptist, we say, I am not the light. <laughs> we point to another who is the light. And that's what John does. This morning, we're going to zoom in on one verse of what we read. We read verses 29 to 34, uh, but we're going to look specifically at verse 29 and even more narrowly, the second half of verse 29. Right after John is, is questioned about who he is, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we're going to look at this statement from John and see what it really means for them then and us now. I like the more traditional translation of this verse that uses that word behold. It says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, this word is oftentimes translated uh, low, or look, or see, or in the one we read at the beginning, uh, the NRSV simply just says hear. I don't like that translation. It needs something weightier. Behold. Anytime we use that word nowadays, it always comes with the other word, low, right? Well, lo and behold, something surprising is happening. Something that maybe was a little out of the ordinary is happening. Something that we want to say, wake up, pay attention, this is important. Behold carries all of that in just one word. And so John says, behold. And really with his whole life, John is saying, behold. He's saying, hang on, something new is happening something that is important wake up everyone and pay attention to this his whole life is spent pointing to something new behold and here in verse 29 i imagine him pointing literally as jesus is walking by he says behold the lamb of god there are a lot of words in the, in the original text of the Bible that can be translated into English as the English word lamb. This word specifically usually means a sacrificial lamb. A lamb that is being brought as a sacrifice. A pure, young, around one-year-old lamb. 
But there is some controversy around what John the Baptist meant by calling Jesus the Lamb of God. Because you see, this all takes place well before the crucifixion. And by all accounts, John would have had the same expectations for a Messiah as his other Jewish counterparts of a conquering king that was coming to save the Israelite people and restore their nation. It kind of doesn't make sense for him to refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God, as a sacrificial lamb. And so there is controversy among theologians about what he really meant by this. We can't be certain what John knew or didn't know about Jesus, but we do know now what he may not have known then, that this lamb was slaughtered as an atoning sacrifice for sins. This is a central claim of the gospel, one that makes the Christmas story more than just a cute, sentimental scene of a young mother and her baby surrounded by furry animals. I'm not sure any Advent sermon is complete without a quote from Fleming Rutledge, who's my favorite Advent theologian. Listen to what she says about Advent. She says, Advent tells us that Christmas isn't really Christmas if all we are thinking about is a nice little baby. The baby will grow up. And all the violence that the rulers of this world can devise will expend itself upon his broken, bloody, naked body. See, Christmas on its own doesn't remind us of this. Advent sets the scene for us to remember who Jesus is when we celebrate his birth. That in just a few days, when we think about the birth of this baby... Against the backdrop of Advent, we remember who this baby is and what he has done. This, this one who had the weight of all of the sinfulness of the world expend itself on his broken, bloody, naked body. That is a description of a sacrificial lamb. That is the lamb of God. It's much more gruesome than any Christmas card you've received, I hope. And that is what Advent reminds us. This sacrificial lamb is usually brought by the people. Throughout the Old Testament, people bring a sacrifice to God and they offer their sacrifice to atone for their sins. They are the ones making the sacrifice. But... Behold, something new is happening. This is the Lamb of God. God himself is the one showing up with the sacrifice. And in fact, he himself is the one showing up as the sacrifice. In case his audience didn't understand this, John makes it clear what the function of the Lamb of God is, what its purpose is is. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. This Lamb of God removes sin. 
The turtle remains in darkness because he knows the light is coming. He has an instinctive trust that it won't always be dark. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God can acknowledge the darkness of this world, the darkness of our sin, because we know that it won't always be dark. We know that sin and darkness is being removed. The Lamb of God takes away sin, your sin and mine. See, Advent is still, still a hopeful time. It's not all despair and gloom. This is a joyful message. The Lamb of God takes away your sin and my sin. No matter what your sin is, and no matter what my sin is, it's not just disregarded. It's taken away. It ceases to be yours, and it ceases to be mine. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Our 21st century American perspective uh, focuses us on ourselves or on others individually. When we hear messages about forgiveness of sin, we automatically think about the individuals being forgiven as a result of the Lamb of God. But remember, I said at the beginning that your sin and my sin has helped create a collective sinfulness, a collective evil, a collective brokenness that permeates all creation. And what John says is actually quite amazing. Just like in English, there's a way to make a word plural in Greek. And it's very clearly singular here. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This collective sinfulness that I have participated in and that you have participated in. This darkness that is over the earth because of sin. It collectively is being taken away. It collectively is being restored to a new creation. And that is what John says when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just me, not just you, but all of us together. The brokenness that exists. And so, at the end of the Advent season, now we get to move from the season of Advent to the season of Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas is not just a song. It's a, it's a church season that are, that's 12 days long, beginning on Christmas Eve. And so now, as we come to a close of this service, the next time we'll gather, we'll be celebrating a new season in the church. As we end this long night of Advent and move into a season of light, remember that the birth of a baby in Bethlehem is more than a cute sentimental story. 
This is the dawn of a new day. He is the light coming to shine in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the Lamb of God. We thank you that this is not just a cute, furry lamb, but this is a lamb that was slaughtered for our sins. This is a lamb that willingly took a sacrifice on himself to take away our collective sinfulness and to restore us in our relationship with you. This is a lamb who came to make things right because of his righteousness. And so God, as we move into the Christmas season, help us to remember that the story of Christmas is not just the story of a birth of a baby, but it's the coming of the one who came to make things right in our lives and in our world. Help us to welcome that light into our lives, into our workplaces, into our communities. God, shine that light in us. And as we go out into our world, help us to proclaim with our lives that it won't always be dark, that indeed there is light available to all. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.